0: Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast that discusses current events, relevant topics, and emerging issues in pharmacy. I am your host, Carly McMoore, and together with my producer, Jared McMoore, and the Australian Journal of Pharmacy, we are bringing you a podcast that draws on the opinions and expertise of pharmacists from all settings and experience levels, from those pharmacists who have already been a voice in the profession to those who have never had their voice heard before. We wanted to continue to bring you some podcasts during the coronavirus. These podcasts were pre-recorded and they're not to make light of anything that any pharmacist um, or any other healthcare professional might be experiencing during the coronavirus. I'd like to thank you for your hard work and say that you're all doing a great job and I hope that you're still enjoying the podcasts. So please listen to some pre-recorded podcasts that are new and I hope that you enjoy them. Thanks. Is your career going the way that you planned? Are you having the linear progression as you would expect? Has your career taken some detours along the way? Here's some stories from some other pharmacists about how their careers have progressed. It hasn't always been in the linear pathway, but they have ended up in places that they've never expected, or they share some tips on how you can change your career or your trajectory if you're not happy where you are in your career. Ravi Sharma shares on networks, building bridges, and personal development,
1: as well as helping others. So some of the best advice I have got in my career has been to firstly network and broaden a network of people inside and outside of pharmacy, even beyond healthcare as well, which I think is really important, and to build bridges uh, and to never burn a bridge. I think that's also equally important too, as well as being able to build a network, build strong relationships that you can depend on, you can influence on, but also learn from as well, which I think is equally important take on every opportunity you potentially could get because you never know what doors could open as a result of it. Bring people along that journey with you and you know help people develop and become better than you and more successful than you. And I think it's it's that other part is about really being focused on your own continual professional development as an individual and knowing that good is not enough and you always want to be better and improve throughout your journey and learn from other people and uh, around you and particularly from your mentors about their experiences and their reflections on practice and being able to take that and build it as part of your journey as well. Adam
0: Lavore discusses his experience with a bad rejection and trying again.
2: Probably the, the number one thing that, that reson- has resonated me uh, the most was I went for a, when I w- moved to Ballarat, I went for a position that was a senior role um, and I didn't get the job. And my um, two of my bosses sat me down and they said, "Look, you're not, um, you don't have the management experience um, to be able to sort of take on this role, um, but you ticked all the other boxes, so we're just going to give you that management experience." And yeah, it was probably the best rejection um, I've ever received, and it's probably the thing I've carried through the most with me um, is that if you feel that you're you're missing something in your sort of um, career checklist you just need to do it and do more of it um and so i've i've really taken that aboard particularly like going into my new role of uh of working through it that way and probably the other thing that uh i was told by by one of my mentors in in nuclear pharmacy um pdu who's based at peter mccallum cancer center um he said the reason we call it research is that we don't find it the first time and um that's sort of been something as well that when it comes to even just dealing with patients and, and working through their problems or their, their concerns with them is that you're not, you know, you, you call it research because you're having to do it again, and that's okay.
0: Rachel Dinar and Peter Cruthers discuss rural pharmacy not being just a part-time role, standing up for what you believe in, saying no, being a solution person, and your professional obligations.
3: I, um... I worked in hospital pharmacy uh, to start off with in my career and I remember saying to my boss, Enid Barnes, who's a wonderful, wonderful woman and mentor, um, why do we have to be on call, you know, all bloody night and everything? You know, if we don't come in and do the drips, the doctors are going to do them on the wards. And, <coughs> and you know, what, 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 why are you so sort of passionate about about the pharmacy being on call all the time and she said Peter you cannot call yourself an essential health service if you are not 24 hours a day 365 days a year and I just thought it was the most brilliant answer (coughs) you know pharmacy cannot be a part-time thing you can't close the door, you know, on your pharmacy in a remote rural community and then not be there for anybody. You know, so part of my life, you know, is often the only pharmacist, well, certainly the only pharmacist who gives their address in the entire postcode. Um, I'm permanently on call. The hospital has my number um, and two or three times a year. I'll get a call in the middle of the night or on a weekend or something. And 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 I just welcome it because because of that piece of advice. You know, if we're essential, then we've got to be there all the time for people when they need us.
4: And I've remembered um, when I was at um, UTAS, the head of um, School of Pharmacy, Alan Pollock, um I think it was the only award I ever got at uni, was, you know, pharmacist most dedicated to the profession. And he said to me, he said, never lose your desire to stand up for what you philosophically stand for, believe in, and um, never get let um, anything get in the way, economics of business, um, potential being let go from employment and things like that like just know what you stand for know what is best practice know what is legal and absolutely stand by that for your whole career and I guess that's been really good because now I remember that when I'm talking to the ECPs, which is obviously why I lost my voice a little bit this morning last night uh you know the 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 sessions that I did on have the confidence to say no around Australia with ECPs and now they're all, oh, yeah, I met you at that. And, and it's young man last night said to me, he said... Oh, you came along to that when I was a student, and now we're doing that. And around owing prescriptions and patients having an expectation around that from the pharmacist and being saying, No, you know, just educate the consumer. And he said, And now no one asks, and we've successfully done that, you know. So being able to channel that, just stand up for what you know is right and what is good for our profession, and just be a a solution person. So, yeah, I remember that.
3: It's so much like Alan. <laughs> you know Alan. Yeah. I know Alan. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. Just a, a counterpoint to that. Um, one of my pharmacy mentors was my father, and you know, who's a, a pharmacist in the same pharmacy that I'm in now, in a r- remote rural community, and and I was making a stand one day on a on a point of law, I suppose, you know, saying, you know we've got to stick by the law, and and he, he said to me, the laws aren't written for, for us out here, he says, and, and often they do the community a disservice, the letter of the law, and uh, <coughs> he said, what matters more, you know, is is your intent at the time and, uh, and your judgement, you know, if you're able to stand in a court and say... I realised that what I was doing was against the regulation, but I had a, an obligation, you know, an equally uh, <coughs> serious um, professional obligation to, um, you know, clinical obligation to the patient. So it's going to get you out of trouble most times.
4: Absolutely. So, the, yeah, that's the extra layer of always putting, you know, patient-centred care, which is obviously where mm. our health system sort of needs mm. to move quite a bit more towards. And your duty of care to the patient mm. um, around all of that and bal- yeah, balancing those things. Um, and I think there can be a tendency to say, I can't do that. Uh, And a lot of ECPs often say, oh, but, you know, if you say no to the patient, you know, you don't need to say no, I can say I can't do it that way, but we will find a solution of how to get the best for you. Mm. And I actually sometimes in practice, and you possibly won't want to use this, am constantly amazed at I'll ring up and say, oh, no, the doctor won't write a script for that. But what about what about the doctor's duty of care to the Mm. patient? Oh no, but we don't do that. They have to make an appointment, but they can't get one. So it's, I think that yeah, marrying that um, sort of trinity of philosophy along with the, the our duty of care to the patient, what it is in the, number one in the code of ethics, you know that always has to be central. I agree with you.
3: You have to own the problem. You can't use the regulations mm-hmm. to to wash your hands of the problem. That's one of the things that I say to my. Um, interns and students you know is if you come to if you come to work here the the one luxury that you'll never have is being able to say to people I'm sorry I can't help you but maybe the pharmacy in the next street or down the road can help you because there isn't a pharmacy in the next street and there isn't one down the road (coughs) so you have to actually take possession of the problem and deal with it and deal with it in a way that is an adequate outcome for the for the patient and that's tough, and it, and it. But it's also fantastic. You know, for the reasons that Kurt Fernley said this morning. You know, I, I mean, adver- you, you can revel in adversity, and um, and one of the things about difficult situations is that they make you better at, at solving problems. They make you more empathic. They make you more compassionate, um, and they, and you, you develop skills to To deal with situations that you didn't think that you'd ever be able to deal with. And, uh, and that's a very satisfying thing. It's a very good thing, and therefore it's a very satisfying thing.
4: And I think that, that that satisfaction of coming to a solution that has had, as you say, an adequate outcome for the patient is something that takes time in you working in this possibly relates back to remuneration um how much are we actually remunerated for a significant intervention well we've taken the time to work out a difficult um situation uh so i think that some people do the i can't help you with that because of the connection with the amount of time that it takes but they're just missing out on professional satisfaction so much that you know i think that once they got hooked yeah, you know that, that would probably change the way they practice. That's
3: a, and that's a, that's a really good thing about the community pharmacy business model as well, because a, a lot of doctors have started have, have stopped actually doing that. You know, they you know don't have an appointment, can't help you. I don't get paid for that. I'm not going to do it, uh, <clears throat> type of thing. And what it sort of reveals is <laughs> motivation, doesn't it? Um, <clears throat> they're motivated by the medical benefit schedule clearly Um, whereas our business model in a way because we don't get paid for everything um, we're trying always to do the right well we should be always trying to do the right thing for the patient and what is the payoff if you don't get paid well the payoff is loyalty and so in many ways, you know, good community pharmacies have got a business model that is based around um, customer loyalty, patient loyalty, and uh, and that's a really, really powerful thing. I was at a conference once, and somebody was trying to explain, you know, the power of social media in marketing, and it was a, f- a pharmacy group conference, and I'm in a terrific pharmacy group, a lot of clever people. And after about ten minutes, the presenter said. You guys get this, don't you? We said, Yep. He said, Oh God, I love this. He said he said, I, I get to this point in my presentations with doctors and they say, But but where's the MBS item number for that? He said, oh, I just love you guys. And and so I suppose that's the, the upside of not getting paid. But I'd rather be paid.
4: Yeah, and the, and the flow on, <coughs> the flow on to of loyalty as well around um, 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 competing through differentiation, through being different, rather mm. than needing to go down that competing through price. Being mm. an actual destination for health, you know, yeah. and people will, even if you're not in a one pharmacist town, you know, that that, that mm. that's just the the strongest thing for um, you know business growth.
0: I discuss transferable skills, career variety, and evaluation.
5: The best career advice I've had, I don't know if there's been something specific, um, or just the fact that I've always seen that the pharmacy skills are relevant to many roles. I currently work on the podcast and work in a pharmacy and work in the pharmaceutical industry. I find that they all cover the same fundamental knowledge. It's just ability to apply different skills to different roles and I find the variety um, really works for me. But I guess I look at my degree and I think of the many options that are available to utilise these skills. I don't believe that these opportunities are easy to get always, um, but I do believe that you know if you're able to describe them well and prove yourself and show that these transferable skills can be utilised in different industries, then there are a lot more doors open. And we all have varying skills that are individual to us and can be used in these variety of roles. And I think finding the right role for you that allows you to feel like you're making a contribution and a difference is what motivates me. And it's a constant process of evaluation and development to make sure that I'm utilising these skills, developing new ones and finding new ways to yeah, make a contribution.
0: Amanda Cross shares on having a support network professional development and exploring areas of interest.
6: When I graduated pharmacy, my parents gave me, as a graduation present, the Dr Seuss book, Oh, The Places You'll Go. And I guess both family and friends, as well as the pharmacy connections I've had, have always encouraged me to keep seeking higher or different opportunities. Um, So, like, in my internship um, at community pharmacy, I was mostly running the shop, um, running the pharmacy. And then about two days after graduating, I became pharmacist in charge. After passing my internship, I became pharmacist in charge. Then I was sort of encouraged through that, like the proprietor was really great and he would encourage me to develop those skills and sort of the people management skills. And he was also really supportive when I started the PhD and we were able to find part-time hours. So everyone I've sort of encountered along the way has been really... Supportive and encouraging of um, professional development and just sort of expanding to the full scope or um, exploring avenues of interest that um, may not be sort of the standard linear pathway, but, um, yeah, they've always been really encouraging, which has been great.
0: Taryn Gill and Tinu Abraham discuss a challenging intern year, being open and confident in sharing views on being a new pharmacist, the importance of mentors, having a career mission statement Constructive discontent, knowing when to resign from jobs, and they discuss hospital and community pharmacy.
7: First um, advice, good advice I received as a new as a new pharmacist. I was very. Um I was not very confident. I was very shy. I had a very traumatic intern year. <laughs> but it, you learned what? Not to do. <laughs> you learned Oh, yeah. Well, I did learn, and it killed my confidence. Yeah. Like I, I had a yeah a really yeah. um quite verbally abusive preceptor. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. like I shouldn't say abusive. It's like calling your students. Useless and just words like that. Words that demean you. Um, so after that year, register um, becoming a pharmacist and my first job, I just felt like I didn't know anything because I've been told that all year. I was quite shocked. I passed in the first round. I passed on um, my orals and my written pretty easy and other you know top people I thought were really smart didn't, and I thought, oh, okay, I must know. But it made me very confident in going to the oral exam. I just knew, like, I'll just say what I know, and if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. But, so, I guess it was a good thing, toughened me up, which is not a good word to use. It wasn't good in, in the end. I was very non-confident as the new pharmacist, but the pharmacist I worked with, the first job I got, which, luckily enough, Maria Giacon, I would always thank her for it, she looked at me, she sat me down, she said, you know it, it's in you, and, and you're a good pharmacist. So, um... Is that the best advice I received? I guess the best advice I received is being confident in your skill, your knowledge, and putting yourself out there. Being open to just, um, you, she she told me you're gonna make mistakes. you mistakes. You're gonna start out. You're new. This is all new for you. You're gonna make some mistakes, but you just keep learning. Just keep being open and learning and asking questions. So I guess having coming from that experience and starting as a new pharmacist and having a a uh, pharmacist that's been a pharmacist for about 20 years. She owned a pharmacy telling me that she believed I knew. She, she thinks she thinks I'm a fabulous pharmacist. She said, oh, you're an amazing pharmacist and you can do it. And ask questions. You're going to make mistakes, but that's fine. We all do. And just learn from it. I guess that was the first good advice I received as a pharmacist. And that's that's where I come from. So when I'm feeling um, a bit like an imposter or a bit, um, a bit not quite sure, I know, okay, yes, it's in me. I know this. I've done this. I've done the work. And Yes, and if, even if I make mistakes, I'll just learn from this and just keep going. Fake it till you make it. No. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> um, that was a long about story, but that's yeah. No, yeah that was the first one. Yeah. First, yeah, that was one of my the good advice I've received as a pharmacist, and that keeps ringing. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
8: Awesome. Um. So yeah, I have certainly been very lucky to have some good mentors. Um. And when I have felt isolated, I guess I've had the confidence to go. I need some help and, and seek it. Um. I I probably very, very early on I was told um, I need a career mission statement. Otherwise, I'm going to have a job for the rest of my life. You're just going to have a job. So it was probably my first year out um, after registering, so not in my intern, but in my reg year, um, that I was given that advice and I had to come up with a career mission statement. And it's actually helped me really, really well and I would rec- I recommend this when I talk to students and things like that. Is, um, so my career mission st- statement is to build better pharmacies to help communities. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to and, – and, and come up with my values as well. So not like um, – punctual and, you know, good person because that's just part of being a good human being. Um, I came up with my three that, that I talk about at the staff meeting and they are do the right thing, not the easy thing, um, tenacity, which is perseverance with a timeline and excitement. If I'm not excited when I'm doing it, I shouldn't be doing it. So with that, I've actually been able to go, oh, I'm, I'm feeling really disenfranchised. What should I do? I always feel good when I'm teaching people. I'm going to try and get a job at the university. And then by helping that student, I'm building a better pharmacy to help communities. Um, or I'll go rural. Or, um, you know, I'll, I, I'm really unhappy what's happening in the industry. I'm going to go tell the PSA CEO that they're doing a crap job. Oh, would you like to be a board director? Oh, okay. didn't know that was going to be, you know. I obviously didn't have exactly like that. But, but um, using your constructive discontent, to move forward, um, but it's also happened ha- helped me in the reverse when it's helped me resign from jobs. I've been able to say that the values of the organisation no longer match mine and thank you for the opportunity, for the time I've been here, and move on like really quite seamlessly and also without burning any bridges um, because it's okay for my values to not match yours anymore. Um, if the, the organisation, the business's values is going this way and I, my, my head and my life and my family are going this way, then that's actually okay. Um, so that I think was a good piece of advice is like, if I don't count with a career mission statement, I'm going to have just a job for the rest of my life. Um, and there are lots of people that walk around in jobs and they're counting down for five o'clock or whatever time they finish. Um, and it's really, they couple their satisfaction with their remuneration rather than many other things that make you satisfied in a day. Um, and certainly it's why I want to be a pharmacy owner because, um, I got seconded to business manager at Orange Hospital for a while and I put in a business case for a hospital in the home pharmacist and an antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist and they both got knocked back. And I thought to myself, and it wasn't because the evidence wasn't there and the data wasn't there and it wasn't going to save money and hours. It was the minister at the time, you know, and money and this and that. And I thought to myself, if I could run my own business, I could stick my community pharmacist at urgent care discharge and I could just do the transition of care and I'll pay for it. (laughs) And so guess what? I've got. We look after the acute ward now in our local health service Um, and I pay for that pharmacist um, to do that. So I think that, yeah, where there's a will is a way. Um, And then another piece of advice I got when I um, was hitting a lot of crossroads, I think a lot of early career pharmacists do exactly what I did is you align yourself with a pharmacy group maybe, and you work really hard for them and then you kind of think, oh, that partnership opportunity, it's gonna come. Mm -hmm. And I did that and it never came. Um, And it just never came and I was hitting all these crossroads um, and blocks and I couldn't find – you've got to remember this is post-global financial crisis, Mm -hmm. no vendor finance from organisations like API anymore. So, if you're not coming with money or big money at least, then nobody's giving you an opportunity. Um, Some of the big groups do give you an opportunity but then you've got to see what is the junior partner getting versus the senior silent partners. There's there's lots of different things and – uh, one of my mentors who's here today, I saw her this morning, said to me that when you, when you look down a road, it looks like a dead end, but actually it's a T-junction that goes right or left. Mm. And so every time you're feeling like there's no way forward, you remember that the, the road's going to turn. It's going to turn somewhere. Um, and then that one, if it ends up being the wrong one, that's going to turn somewhere too, you know. Um, so for as long as you're alive, it's not really going to be a dead end. Mm. Um, so I think that's something to remember. It's not going to be that way forever. What's in your toolkit to make you turn which corner and and what have you yeah Yeah. um and I think the last one sorry I'm talking a lot but um which is no surprise I'm (laughs) sure (laughs) (laughs) is if you want to be a clinician and if you want to be a good pharmacist you need to learn about how the economy and money works um I I really struggle with this idea about I don't want to work in community pharmacy because it's all about the money you made but guess what you have an opportunity to make money when you work in a hospital all you do is an opportunity to save money There is no making money to put more resources in. It's about you're you're really constricted by funding. And I know there is a perception by young pharmacists that you'll be better paid and have better conditions um, in that setting. And and to a certain extent, I guess that's true sometimes with some community pharmacies. But even that director and deputy and team still has a budget, still has to report. There are still financial um, measures and, you know, even – even thinking about like, oh gosh, that person's got too much annual leave. I need to send them in the way. Otherwise the taxpayer is going to have to pay for this. But do you know what I mean? Like but we're not thinking about things. So I guess my bit of advice is and I'm not that way inclined, but I went to the extra effort to go to Australian student management and do a short course there and go do a little finance course because I'm not wired that way. I'd much rather be in, in a heart failure session <laughs> than a, than a in, you know, this is what a p and statement looks like session. But the P&L, state, uh, P&L statement session is an enabler For me to then come to my business partners or whoever um, or your director of pharmacy and go, if we did this, this and this, this is what it could possibly do financially and this is the health outcomes. Um, So my, yeah, everything in this world has a price and you can be the best clinician ever but if no one wants to fund you you don't want to do it either do you (laughs) so I think yeah every pharmacist also probably needs to have um, not like put their nose down to the fact that money needs to be made or saved um, because it's an enabler to be able to to give good outcomes
0: Simon Carroll talks about following your passion
3: probably the best advice I've had and I won't say it's just for my pharmacy career Um, but in general has been follow your passion. If you're passionate about something, that passion will take you through the hard times as well as the good times, and it means that when things get tough, you'll actually keep going. And so I think if you're trying to do something and trying to be interested in it, it's very difficult to have that stamina, that persistence. But if you're passionate about it, you'll push through... You'll continue, and even when things look stacked against you, you're going to come through strong in the end.
0: Amy Page discusses investing in yourself and your skills, engagement and further qualifications.
9: My best advice for pharmacists starting out is to invest in themselves and their own skills. So using taking the time to go to conferences, to... Um, Engage with their professional associations, like PSA, to undertake further qualifications. Whether that's a um, in clinical pharmacy or health professional education or public health, or economics or business or whatever you know, just continuing to pursue their interests and continuing to. Uh, Invest in themselves is the best way forward. And through a lot of that self-investment will come increased opportunities and new opportunities and new challenges um, and will open new doors for them.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please send an email to podcast at appco.com.au or follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast.